So Paul's writing to address a lot of these things um, and has gone through those in the first two chapters. So here we land in chapter 3, uh, which is kind of the pivot point for the book of Colossians. It's kind of the anchor point that Paul uses. Um, if you think about basketball, ball's coming down the court, get the ball, and then the players will pivot toward the hoop. That's what Paul is doing in this passage. So it talks a lot about trajectory. Where are we looking? Where is our hope? Where is it based? Where is it founded? What is it anchored in? So I just want to talk, ask you a few questions. You know, have you ever found yourself asking questions like, you know, what am I doing right now in my life? Like, what am I doing? It's questions like, why am I single? Why am I so stressed out all the time? We hear that one a lot. Right? How you doing? Stressed, busy, right? Why can't I wake up in the morning? Why am I depressed? Why am I married? Why am I broke? Any of these sound familiar? Do to me. Why is my two-year-old so evil? <laughs> I have said that. But I, I really do think that these questions, if we, we take a look at it, they do take up a lot more of our mental capacity than we would probably acknowledge publicly. But often, I think it's more than we actually realize ourselves. Um, so I'm, I'm in business, so I always think of things in terms of capital and financial terms. You know, so if I was thinking about the term mental capital. If you have mental capital, like you have a certain amount of capital to spend every day on what you're thinking about and what you're setting your mind on, right? Why, you know, why do I still have this job? Or why do I hate my job, right? So you spend a little bit there. You know, like, oh, man, why are my kids not doing what they're supposed to do, spend a little money there? Why is my marriage failing? Ah, do I really want to do, live in this neighborhood? You know, and all these things, and we're spending, spending, we're spending, right? So it's like, what do we have left at the end of the day, right? With all these questions, taking up all these things, you know? There are no shortage of answers in our culture today. Right, where do we turn? Where does our culture turn, right? Let's Google it. Why am I unhappy? That'd be an interesting thing to Google, I didn't do it. I'm sure we have like 13 million responses. But we do, we have, we have Oprah, right? We have Tony Horton, P90X guy. Um, we have Facebook, 800 cable channels, snarky political talking heads, lots of people offering us answers to these questions, right? If we want Oprah, it'd be like, well, you need to adhere to your life plan. Let's get a life plan and we'll stick to it, right? And we'll will it. We have to be spiritual. Spirituality is important for you. And then his is, his, you know, so we'll, we'll get there. And then uh, you're going to go Tony Horton, right, P90X. Well, let's look at the after pictures first. You know, we'll look at these after pictures and we want to get here, right? So let's do things that get us here, right? And this will solve your singleness issue. Right? You do hear that a lot. Then you have uh, Facebook, right? Worst case scenario, you can log on and see at least like 200 people that you're better than. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm saying, do you ever see suggestions for friends? I don't know if you haven't, like people you might know, you're like, wow, I'm definitely better than those people. I've heard people think that. So the, we got a lot of laughing, a lot of laughing. So really in this passage, Paul is giving us as Christians a very specific answer to all these other questions, right? Where should we spend that mental capital? 
So turn with me tonight, Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. So Paul answers the question here. The question being, how do we as Christians live our lives in light of the reality that we have been risen in Christ? As Christians, if you've believed and received the message of Christ, ask the Holy Spirit to put his finger on the things in our lives, to teach us through his word, to direct our minds. If you've never heeded the call of the gospel, listen. Whether you're here, listening online, wherever, you might hear and consider some truths you never have before. So if you bow with me, we'll pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness to us, the gift you've given us in Jesus. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit will direct us and lead us tonight. Put his finger on the heart of what we think about and why we think these things. And where appropriate, Lord, draw us to repentance and change our way. In Jesus' name, we can pray all this. Amen. So there's a pattern in Scripture. Paul talks about it a lot. You can, you can see it in, in a lot of his writings. He's a very systematic thinker. In a lot of ways, thinks in legal terms and legal orders. So there's justification, sanctification, leading to glorification. Now, we don't use these words at all, really, in our everyday, unless you're a pastor, you hang out with me and Jeremy and Tim and Mike on a Wednesday afternoon. No, but these are terms that are very important, so I'm going to explain them really quick. Justification is um, what God provided when Jesus died on the cross. He, Jesus justified us of our sin. That means past sin, present sin, future sin is atoned for. It's accounted for. We are acquitted of it, not guilty. So we are justified when we believe and we receive Christ. And then that moves us to a period of sanctification. And sanctification is where we become more like God by the power of the Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus now comes alongside as our helper, and he convicts us of sin, leads us in righteousness, um, surrounds us with those that would move us in that direction. And we believe as Christians, again, one day we will be glorified or glorification will occur. And this is the part where Jesus returns and we get to be without sin not fighting it, we were without it. So here's the process, justification, sanctification, glorification. And Paul kind of goes through it a little bit in this passage, so I just wanted to point that out in the beginning. Um, he starts out, if you believe in Christ, then you are raised with Christ. It's, it's the truth, if then. So the if is separating, if you believed or if you haven't believed. If you've believed, then you've been raised with Christ. It's an acquittal. When the Colossians heard, it says just uh, in chapter 2, when the Colossians heard this, they believed and were raised. So through Colossians, he's building this. I'm just going to read Colossians 2, 12 through 14. It'll be on the screen as well. It says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, 
having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So likewise, like the Colossian Christians, this is to all Christians. When we believed, we were raised. This means you were raised, right? It's a tough thing to grab for me. I don't always feel raised, you know? It's a good thing we don't go by our feelings. Feel. <laughs> a lot of feelings. Uh-oh. So again, foundational principle. If you believed, you were raised. That is where we stand. That is what we need to remember. We always forget. I always forget. And we have the Holy Spirit to remind us. If you haven't believed, then there's an opportunity to believe. There's a freedom to be had. So as believers, as Christians... What is God telling us through Paul's writings here? And here's really the meat of the passage. Those raised with Christ should seek and set their minds on things above. Right? We're talking about the process of sanctification. We believed and we were raised, we were justified, and now we are told to seek and set our minds on the things above so that we can move through our process of sanctification, being more like God. So I have, I have three kids, right? And if you spend like five minutes at any time of the day, well, when those three kids are awake, especially Miles, just spend five minutes, any time, day or night, and you will find that he has an array of reasonings and excuses and motivations that will somehow either get him in front of something that is or has a screen, right? If you have, you know. Okay, so everything becomes secondary. And I mean everything, like eating, going to the bathroom. Like, it doesn't matter. Sarah and I will be sitting there, and, and the kid, you know, he never walks to the bathroom. He never walks. It's just a flash. Why? Because that was a secondary thing for him, right? His mind was set here, and unless his body threatens to go tactical nuclear on him, he's not moving. So the boy runs to the bathroom. So where is your attention focused, right? Maybe not be so intense, but it's a a good illustration, I guess. So what do you pursue? What are you seeking and setting your mind on? We talk about this sometimes. We look at our demographics here in the northern suburbs of Syracuse, and the demographic studies and the surveys, they tell us that a few things that as a culture we seek and set our minds on. Number one, I don't know if these are in the right order, but these are the top two. So we have pursuit of leisure time. Doesn't sound nice. Sounds nice to me. I like to pursue leisure time. Um, Number two, financial security. So we have pursuit of leisure time, financial security, and it doesn't take long to spend time up here before you realize we have these little people that look like us that we often lay everything down in our lives for and live vicariously through them and hope that they will take care of our need to be, need for approval, Right? And we, we go way overboard. Right? There's a, yes, we want to give our kids good things. We want to give them good upbringings and in a lot of ways, things that we never had. But man, I'm not going too far there, but we do right? as a culture. So how do we, the church, blend in or fit in or live in, a, live in sync with things that are so out of sync with Scripture? 
right? How do we relate? How do we be relevant as just, not even the church, but as people who believe this, and this is what is being done, right? I'm sh the lines blur in between. We have cultural pulls, right? The Joneses, they're everywhere. But think about it for a second. Seriously, what do you think about and pursue when you're not here on Sunday night? When you're not in a missional community on Wednesday night, small group, or Thursday night? You have two nights now. So what is your default state of mind? What do you, like, my son and getting back to the screen, like, what do you default to? Like, okay, well, I'm not doing this screen, you know, need to play this. What are we going back to? Well, Paul, again, encourages Christians, seek and set your mind on things above. So if it's not that, then the scriptures are telling us we need to be corrected there, right? It's telling us what to pursue. So in the final verses of chapter 2, Paul just finished the list of earthly things that the Christians were hung up on, things that make them look good to their neighbors, feel better about themselves because look what I did, look what my will earned me. And Paul tells us it's all fool's gold, all of it. It's worthless. It's worthless. Not to harp on Facebook, but there's just such a great definition of Facebook. Uh, a pastor, a friend of mine, was Sarah, my pastor for a lot of years, Bill King in Oswego, he said, Facebook is the chewing gum of human relationship. It tastes good when you first put it in your mouth, right? And it makes you hungry for food, but has zero nutritional value, right? What do you think about that? Fool's gold. What do idols do? We, we take our, our problems, right? We take our questions. Mm, why am I broke? What am I going to major in in college? How come I'm single? How come I have issues? And we find an idol, right? Sometimes it's a substance or a relationship or a level of financial security or amount of free time. And we give it all of our stuff. Let's take the idol, let's throw our money down at its altar. Let's throw our attention and our thoughts. Let's put our kids up there in hopes that it will save us from these questions, right? They always take, they never give back, not once. So in this part of the scripture, like Paul says it twice, seek the things that are above, set your mind on things that are above. Back to back. In scripture, right, we have a lot of literary um, devices that try to get us to focus attention on certain areas. Repetition is one of the most prominent, right? So we see it here. One, and do it again. Why do, why do you think that he needs to do that? It doesn't come naturally. Okay, yeah, I'll seek and set my mind on it. No, 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 I really mean it. Doesn't come naturally. There's a portion of uh, C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, um, where I think he so precisely describes a very imprecise notion. So it's going to be on the screen again. I'm just going to read through it. It's a paragraph. And, and he's talking about even when we start to pursue something we think is going to be great, how it never really is as great as we thought it was when we started, even if it's good. So he says, most people, if they have really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want, and want acutely, something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love, or first think of some foreign country, or first take up some subject that excites us, are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. 
I'm not now speaking of what would ordinarily be called unsuccessful marriages or holidays or learned careers. Speaking of the best possible ones, there was something we have grasped at in the first moment of longing, which just fades away in the reality. I think everyone knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife, and the hotels and scenery may have been excellent. And chemistry may have been a very interesting job. Something has evaded us. So here, God is teaching us what we must do. What we must do to live in the fullness of his work in us. We have all these things. Oh, this is going to make, this is, I'm going to set my mind on this. I'm going to achieve this goal. I'm going to live up to my potential. It's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. And Paul says it here twice. Seek, set your mind on things above, not things that are on earth. It's countercultural. Not items, not did I go to church, did I read my Bible, did I pray for my neighbor, did I serve my wife. Right? Those are all things right, that maybe are evidences of seeking and setting our minds right. They're not the trajectory. They're along the way. Plus, if, what if we, uh, we gauge ourselves, right? We start to measure. Oh, I checked this. I did this. I did this. I did this. Oh, and then when you start failing, what does that say about your identity? Oh, this is who I am. This is who I am. Uh-oh. Right? Man, if my salvation and my standing and the measurement of whether I was seeking or setting my was like, how did I feel about going to church on Sunday night? I'd be in some very, very dangerous territory. Or how did I love my wife today? Man, my whole thing would be in very dangerous territory because of those things. They go like this, right? Up and down. Feelings, emotions, they affect us. Thankfully, we are not left alone to deal with these things. Right? God has provided in his grace, his mercy, and his desire to see us through our sanctification process. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's giving us the helper, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Holy Spirit that gave the power there, gives us power to do what he calls us to do. He convicts us of sin. Some people call it a conscience that don't understand. It's not you that's telling you it's wrong for the Christian. It's the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin and calling you to repentance Repentance, right? Realizing that I shouldn't be doing this. Contrition, having a contrite heart about it, like, well, I guess the Bible says it's wrong, so I guess I better not do this. No. The Holy Spirit allows our hearts to be broken over our sin. And then repentance and changing our direction from it. So we have the Holy Spirit. We also have, well, we're going to, have, we're going to hold up my Bible here, but have the Word. <laughs> It's a revealed word. But we do, we have the scriptures. God's revealed word, word accessible to us in print, digitally, in the cloud, on a lot of buildings, right? In this country, in this culture, it's accessible. He's given that to us. And it's accessible not just in the physical nature of like, I have it in my hand, but by the Holy Spirit's power, anyone can open this book and see truth revealed to them. 
And you don't have to understand the whole thing, every sentence and grammatical structure of Greek. and he, You don't have to understand all of that in order for the Holy Spirit to, to speak to you and convict you of it. Right? So we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word. And then we have the church. Now, we're, we're a small church. We're a young church. And we are in many different phases of life. Right? We are a community. This is the community. This is the support group. You know, I'm not talking about, well, I have the, you know, I, the Xbox 3 over player support community group, right? We're not talking about bro chachos, right? We're not talking about that. We have community. And this is a group of people who are in the same process of sanctification that can share in what it is to be sanctified and encourage each other in what it is to be justified and remind each other, saying, it's that, 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 that the already, we've already been justified, but we're not yet glorified. The already and the not yet that you hear, we are all in that middle spot together. Those three things, Holy Spirit, the Word, the church, which I'll encourage you, it's not just about coming on Sunday night to just sing a few songs and hear some Yahoo preach, right? Go in a small group. Thanks, Walt. <laughs> and go in a small group on a Wednesday or a Thursday just so that we can say, well, what are we doing as a group? Well, did we, did we you know, talk to our neighbors about Jesus? Right? That is not what it's about coming. It's the fact that God said, this is the community that I love. This is my bride that I love. This is the body that I love. And it is for my glory and your good. And it's for your good and your good. And this body is something different when we are all together in this process and we remember that we are. It's so easy to say, I don't, I don't want to be a part of that right now. Where's our mind? Seeking, setting our minds on things above, not things on the earth. Things on the earth will take care of themselves. They will always be there and always be screaming for your attention. You know, I saw there was a, a pastor that I really like. He's from Philly. That's probably why I like him. His name's Joe Foch. They have a great, a great congregation. Sarah and I visited them last week on our way to vacation. And, um, and he says, like, how do you know you're on the trajectory of sanctification? He's like, well, it generally looks like this. And maybe because we're from Philly, you need to, like, really, you know, water it down so it's only, like, two things. And he says, more repenting, less sinning. <laughs> I get it, right? And everybody else in that audience gets it, and we all get it. What does your life look like? More repenting and less sinning? Man, a lot of the time I look around within the church and I see sinning followed by complex arguments on why it's not actually a sin, and then maybe if we prove them wrong, repenting, right? You see that a lot, right? My heart wants to do that. Well, is it really that? Right? Watch any Fox, CNN, MSNBC, right? For every expert, there's an equal and opposite expert. You know what I'm saying? It's the truth. More repenting, less sinning. Martin Luther said, 95 Thesis, right in the beginning, all of a Christian's life is repentance. 
And finally, we talk about when Paul says, your life is Christ. Christ who is your life. You know, think of baptism and, and the image that that gives in a Christian baptism, right? Well, in Christian baptism, mo many people believe that when you go fully under the water, <laughs> and we're Baptists, so we like baptism, and we like to push them way under. We're going to the bottom. <laughs> Hold them there. Wait until they stop moving. <laughs> Send them back down, you know. No, so baptism, you, you, get, you go under the water, right? And that signifies the old man, that sinful man, that unjustified man. He's dead now. And by the power of Jesus, the new man comes up, and this is the justified man. The old man is dead. So if you were dead, and by the power of Jesus, you are now alive, Jesus is your life. He is the blood in your veins. He is the reason that you live. He is the reason that you have a thought to have, that you can set your mind. And when he comes back, boy, has he promised to redeem everything. My mind cannot wrap itself around what a redeemed, restored world looks like. It just can't. Well, I don't believe that. Who's that guy floating? Off the ground. Well, he doesn't believe in gravity. You know, so he's not held and bound by it. He's coming back. What does that look like? What does it look like to live in a world where we are free from that? The not yet. Christ is our life. He is the reason we are justified. He is the reason we can set our mind. It's not because we can will ourselves there. There is no app for that. There is no checklist that we can mark off and stick to that gets us there. I'm going to read another um, portion of scripture. This is from Charles Spurgeon, Mike's favorite guy ever, Chuck Daddy. He probably has a pair of boxers, Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon wear. It's all right, man. You're, you're hardcore. You're hardcore. <laughs> so this, this is a, he, he had a sermon that I read, and it, it was just on verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. And he says, to the true Christian, Christ is the objective of his life. As speeds the ship toward the port, so hastens the believer toward the haven of his Savior's bosom. As flies the arrow to its goal, so flies the Christian towards the perfecting of his fellowship with Christ Jesus. As the soldier fights for his captain and his crown in his captain's victory, so the believer contends for Christ and gets the triumph out of the triumphs of his master. Great. He always has great illustrations. But it isn't great to know that the boat that we're on, if we are that ship and we're being battered by the waves and life hits and the storms come and now we feel like we're we're sailing with a broken ship, right? And there's water coming in and the instruments don't work right anymore. He promises that that ship will find its harbor. Like, isn't it great to know that your ship's going to make it? You know, isn't it great to know that wherever your life ends, when you're in Christ, is where it was supposed to end? 
like the ship's going to be in its harbor. That's what you were made for? I heard a missionary say, if they cut my head off, well, that's what my head was made for. Wow, that's real, though, but he meant it. You know? Who went here wants to say, my head was made to be cut off? Like, no. That's the truth. So whatever boat you're on, whatever ship you're on, that's what the ship was made for. And Jesus says it will find its harbor. He talks about the arrow. Think about it. an arrow. If you've ever seen one really like shot from a compound bow, those suckers go straight and they go fast. Sometimes that's how life feels. Right? How great is it to know that when it hits and sticks the target, it's where it was supposed to go. Now, the last one's my favorite. Feels like a battlefield a lot of the time as a Christian. Just in regular stuff like not losing my patience with my kids. It gets that, that simple sometimes. How good is it to know that one day, you know, we've all seen movies like Gladiator and where these battlefields are just chaotic. How good is it to know that one day the soldier on that field is going to look around and there's not going to be anyone to fight. There's not going to be anyone to fight. Jesus promises us that. He is our life. We will be glorified with him. How many seasons of our life do we just need to be reminded of that? This ship's going to find its harbor, and it's going to be a good harbor. So I want to just ask, are we seeking and setting our mind on the things above, the things that Paul teaches us here? Because of why he says to, because Christ is our life, because we've been raised with Christ this way. Right? How do we do that? You know, a couple practical ways to do that. You know, I like to play follow the dollar. Usually it's when there's some kind of scandal or something in the news, we'll follow the dollar. Right? But our life is no different. We like to point fingers, you know, three pointing back. Your checkbook. Well, checks are these little things, right? Tear them off, give them to people when they give you stuff. For anybody that's under, I don't know, there's nobody under 50. Petty. No, check your statement, check your app, right? Look at the last, where are we spending our money, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a great way, just really quick, 30,000 foot view, what am I seeking and setting my mind on? Now, we all have seasons of saving and seasons of sacrifice for certain things, but as a whole, it's a good metric, I think. Secondly, this one could sting, social media posting. All right, how many people are we better than? Right, let's scroll through the last few months of your posting. Well, what's the, what's the point of that one? What's the point of that one? Why did I post that? Oh, look at this conversation I got in with that person, about that person, about this issue. You know, what are we reposting? Oh, sixth grader owns city council, right? And we repost these snarky art articles, you know, taking on the voice of the author. It's really dangerous stuff, right? What do, what do we, what question that we have, am I good at, which one are we answering with that post? What do we write about in our journal, if you journal? Right, go back. You know, it's good to, to get your thoughts out, but what, what's the trajectory of those thoughts? It's a good way to self-assess. You know, side note. I came across the, the scripture and uh, it's like, oh, where is it? It's on here somewhere. Oh, it's gone somewhere in the digital world. 
but uh, Ephesians 4, 24 maybe. Don't quote me on that. I'm not going to look for it, but basically it's like whatever is wholesome. Don't let no unwholesome talk proceed from your mouth. Right? What do we got? Which one is that? 29. Right? 2,000-year-old social media policy. Right? Can we adopt that one? Can you imagine what your Facebook page would look like if you thought of that every time? Maybe a little warning could come up. Like when you go to post, post it's like, boom. Uh, cancel. <laughs> you know? So how will we live our lives as individuals and as the church when we are seeking and setting our minds on things above? When we are embracing our identity in Christ, this is who we are. Not who we want to be. This is who we are. This is what we're in the process of, and this is where we're going. Ask Matt and the team to come up. But my prayer is that for the church, for this church, for our group of people, that we would walk together in our justification. And I encourage you to remind each other of this. So easy to forget. Oh, man, it's so easy to forget. We've been justified. Our sin has already been dealt with for eternity. I pray that we would walk together through our sanctification, bearing with one another in love. And you can ask Mike, Jim, and Ter uh, Mike, Jim, uh, Mike, Tim, and Jer that I really need that. Right? Things come out of my mouth, and I just realized I didn't actually think about it before I said it. You know? And everybody has their stuff, different things. Bear with one another in love. We are all being sanctified. No one has arrived yet. And that we would walk together toward our glorification and the outworkings of that, living lives of repentance, you know, living lives that encourage and accept humble hearts. You know what? We have our My Circle agenda, which is great. It helps us keep on target. It helps remind us of these things. But you know what? That just comes naturally when we are walking together with our minds set on the things above. That is just an outward. Dwight Smith says, you know, Acts doesn't teach church planting, right? It teaches evangelism. Teaches seeking and setting our minds on things above. It teaches that, you know, maybe not in those words in Acts, but church planning just happens, right? Because you have people seeing the body interact with one another. You, you see them living lives of repentance, and repentance is a powerful thing if you witness it. Why don't you stand with us and pray? Lord, you have been so gracious to us, giving us Jesus, giving us new life. Father, we thank you, praise you, and acknowledge the fact that without the Holy Spirit, without your word, without the body, the church, we'd be left to our own devices to worship our idols in private. Father, may they be exposed. Father, I ask that we could use this group of people to do your work, to bring you glory in this community. 
Lord, we ask that you would drown out by your spirit these things that compete for our mental capital and our time. That from the moment our eyes open in the mornings, that question will just be burned into our mind. What are we seeking? What are we setting our minds on? And Lord, if we feel the accusations and the depression, we feel that stuff rolling, remind us, Holy Spirit, that we are justified. We are in Christ. We are secure in what has been done for us, not in what we could have done. Lord, I pray that you would just minister to these people. Father, I pray that you would just help us walk as a church in humility and repentance to serve each other, to serve these people in the community, to serve our children, to serve our spouses. Lord, that you would be glorified through our actions. And in Jesus' name, we can pray all of this in confidence, knowing that this ship will find the harbor it was intended for. Amen.